grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, it's well known that the Reformation got a boost from the invention of the printing press. During the 500th anniversary year of the Reformation, there was a lot of discussion about the printing press as information technology. It allowed ideas to spread much more quickly, giving a boost to Martin Luther and to his allies and to his opponents. What may not be as well known is that Christianity itself arose with a new technology, the technology that we call a book, technically called a codex. You take several pieces of paper and you fold them, much like the service folder that you are handed when you walk into worship. Someone had to invent that. It wasn't obvious. And prior to that, writings were mostly in the form of a scroll. It's been estimated that only around the year 300 AD did books, codices, numerically surpass scrolls. Christianity grew up together with the book, with the rise of the technology of the codex. Judaism to this day symbolically makes use of scrolls in public worship and in the training for a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. It's important because the switch from scrolls to books changes our mentality about the writings and how they relate to one another. Book technology requires you to put things in order. If you think of Genesis as a scroll, as a scroll that's on a shelf with other scrolls, then you, you think differently about how it relates to other books, other, other scrolls, like Jonah, like Deuteronomy, like Proverbs. That's one way to imagine Genesis. Genesis is one writing one sacred writing among others in a collection, on a shelf, in a library. But when you create a book, you have to put those writings in order. You have to make decisions. So now Genesis is not just one sacred writing among others. It is the beginning of the Bible. It is the first book of the book of the Bible. The Bible that most of us have at home or here at Dove is sort of chronological. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. That much is sort of chronological with some backtracking, some circling, and some repetition. But then all the rest of the books are not in chronological order. They are more like supplements, more like appendices that go concurrently into the chronological history of the earlier books. 
The point is, a book differs from a scroll because it requires you to put things into a sequence, into an order, which affects how you think about them. And one important thing to know and to remember is that no official decision was ever made about the order of the books of the Bible. So there was no pope, no church council, no vote, no congregational meeting, no decision by Martin Luther, no writing in the Book of Concord. These decisions were mostly made by publishers and printers and were based on consensus and based on convention, not necessarily theology or history or doctrine or decision. The Jews, when they do arrange their scriptures in book form, their Bible ends with 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 23. So the last verse, last sentences of their Bible in a book form say, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heavens, of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. That's where the Jewish Bible ends when it's put in book form, which they are reluctant to do, at least ceremonially and officially in worship. Christianity, when it eventually created its book, put the Jewish minor prophets last. And the last of the minor prophets is Malachi. So Christians, with a book, a sequence, an imposed sequence, created an Old Testament and a New Testament in that order. And the very last words of the Old Testament are, Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. So the last book of the Christian Old Testament, and in Judaism, the last words of the last prophet of the, of the, of the minor prophets, are a prediction that Elijah will return in anticipation of something big, the great and terrible day of the Lord, lo, I will send you the prophet. Habakkuk? No. Jonah? No. Ezekiel? No. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. Turn the page. So there was this vast expectation that Elijah would return to earth. Remember, unlike almost anyone else, Elijah did not die and get buried. Elijah ascended into heaven in a chariot 
a flying chariot, long before Santa Claus had a flying sled with flying reindeer, Elijah had a flying chariot with horses, and he flew off into heaven, which suggested maybe he could come back. And Malachi said that Elijah would come back and would cause people to repent and get ready for the coming, the advent of God. And people in Jesus' day really took this to heart. They really wanted, they were watching for God to do something in their wretched lives, to throw off the oppressors, to restore the holiness of the temple and its leaders, to bring justice and peace, and they thought Elijah would return in preparation for that coming of God, that breaking of God, that advent, that great and terrible day of the Lord. And so, in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, that whole Roman map, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So writes Luke. People were watching for the return of Elijah. Some thought John the Baptist was Elijah returned. Others thought Jesus was Elijah returned. Jesus said that John was the Elijah figure, and Christianity has said so ever since. The Christian season of Advent is the beginning of a new church year, a new cycle. It is, in a way, Genesis, the beginning. Advent is very much a book, not a scroll. It is concerned with the flow of history. There is a yesterday, there is a today, and there will be a tomorrow. Christianity has two conceptions of time. One of those conceptions is eternity, which is Latin for no time. It's Plato's notion that God lives outside the flow of time, for God, the past, the present, and the future exist together because there is no time. I may not be bright enough to grasp that. Plato seems to think that it makes sense. Maybe Stephen Hawking could grasp it. But Christianity also very much has the sense of chronos, chronological time, of the timeline of history. And Advent is very much that turn of the page from the Old Testament to the New. When Luke was writing his gospel, there was not yet a New Testament. And Luke probably did not know that Matthew's gospel existed. And I think Luke was auditioning 
in some sense, to be the first book of the New Testament. I really think he wanted that spot, even if he didn't know that he wanted that spot, because Luke is very, very fixated on the arrival of John the Baptist, which he describes in enormous detail. Matthew begins his story with the genealogy of of Joseph and with the story of Joseph and Mary. That's where the story begins with Matthew. Luke begins his story with the parents of John the Baptist. Luke wants you to turn the page from Malachi's prediction and to see it coming to light, to fruition, to see it coming true in John the Baptist, the advent of God, the coming of the Messiah, the completion of what the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, describe. There are a lot of prophets in the Bible The Bible says Moses was a prophet. But Malachi, for example, prophet. Certainly Isaiah is titanic where Christianity is concerned. Isaiah is my favorite book of the Bible. It says so on the church website, so it must be true. We read read a great deal of Isaiah at this time of year. We hear Isaiah's words sung in Handel's Messiah oratorio. And there are other celebrated prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, but Elijah does not even have a book. His words are not preserved for us like Hosea's R-rated predictions or the high-handed sarcasm of Amos. Elijah is a rural guy, an outsider, a a guy who's in the country a lot in the wilderness a lot. Elijah lived in a time of failed institutions. He was an outsider in a time when the political order and the religious order had both fallen into corruption and decay. Elijah lived in exile. Elijah lived too often, much of the time, hand to mouth. And he was an opponent of corrupt kings and queens who tried to murder him. It is no wonder then that John, who lived in the wilderness and who stood on the opposite side of the border, the east side of the Jordan, just beyond the reach of princes and law enforcement. That's why he's on the other side of the river. He's on the other side of the border. They can't touch him. John was seen as Elijah. John, indeed, may have intentionally molded his image in that way. In the Christian season of Advent, John's role is to remind us that God is coming. It may be some great and terrible day, as Malachi describes. Or God may come as a baby, born in rags and placed in an animal's food trough. The Hebrew Bible, the writings of the Old Testament, speak of a holy God, a God who stands apart from human institutions and who judges them. The Hebrew Bible speaks of a God who gets involved in the the human story, a God who steps out of the eternal realm of Plato and enters into the real world of human time, of human history, of human flesh. Be prepared, be open, be watchful.
from the Hebrew Bible at Advent, a voice cries out, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Amen.